ESPN Radio. This is ESPN Radio on the ESPN app and Sirius XM Channel 80. Amber Wilson and Harry Douglas taking you up until 7 o'clock Eastern. ESPN Radio is presented to you by Progressive Insurance. You can always tweet to us at AmberW790 at HDouglas83 at ESPN Radio. You can also give us a call, 888-SAY-ESPN, 888-729-3776. So there are NBA games tonight. We are still waiting to find out who plays the one seed in these NBA playoffs. The Hawks and Cavs will help us answer that question tonight, 7.30 p.m. tip-off. Pelicans Clippers will tip off at 10 p.m. tonight. Coverage on most ESPN radio stations will start at 7 o'clock Eastern. But then things will get going this weekend, Harry Douglas, in terms of the actual playoffs. Nets Celtics might be the series that everybody is most keyed on keyed in on. That might be the series that has the most eyeballs in this first round. That series will kick off Sunday, 3.30 p.m. tip. We've talked a lot about this series. Then we got the news yesterday that Ben Simmons might be available towards the end of this series to try to help the Nets defensively. Everybody seems to be talking about this series, Harry Douglas. The more you've thought about it throughout this week, since we've talked about it several times, has your mind changed at all about this series, particularly when it came to the news that maybe Simmons would be able to help out in, you know, games five and six if if necessary? A little bit, and then watching Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving against the Cleveland Cavaliers just put on a clinic, especially Kyrie Irving, the way he shot the basketball, the way he's creative when scoring, um, the way he attacks the basket, how he can, he can shoot it from deep, mid-range, using the, using the glass, uh, how efficient he is shooting free throws, and then you have the most lethal score that we've ever seen touch a basketball in the NBA and Kevin Durant. Those two guys being paired together – are a dynamic duo. Now, defensively, I didn't think they played great defense in that game uh, because the Cleveland Cavaliers actually came back and fought to try to try to win that game, but didn't really because the I think the brilliance of the in the scoring ability of those two guys I just mentioned. But you also had a Nick Claxton show up and do what he had to do. You had a a Brown get those hustle plays, play defense, and score when he needed to score. And I think those guys are starting to get accustomed to being around one another. But at the same time, you look at the Boston Celtics, and I got to give a lot of credit to Doka, their head head coach. Things wasn't hitting on all cylinders early on in the season, right? So a lot of people started chattering here and there. Should we break this duo and Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum up? No. Those guys finally bought into the system, and when January 1st, January 2nd happened, a switch clicked for them. They have been the best defensive team in the NBA. Uh, it's truly the when, – when you hear the phrase, one band, one sound, we want to play in unison, we want to do everything together, that's what you get from the Boston Celtics offensively and damn sure especially on the defensive end of the court. But I think their role players have been great for them. Robert Williams is out. That's going to be a big, uh, a big loss for them in the playoffs. And I think that loss actually gives the Brooklyn Nets an opportunity because now you have a guy – uh, defensively, who who was protecting the paint, he's not going to be in there. And we've seen Kyrie, what he was able to do, and Bruce Brown, what he was able to do against the Cavaliers when Jared Allen wasn't in that paint protecting it in that play-in game. So that's going to be a major factor. But a guy like Marcus Smart, 
who a lot of people in their minds see him as a defensive player of the year because the game has become so perimeter-wise. Uh, he's been fantastic for this team, not just this year, foot, but previous past years, right? He's a guy that can knock in timely baskets when you need him to. Derek White, when he, when he comes in the game off of the bench, I love what he brings to the table. Tice, he's going to bring those hustle plays. Al Horford, I know he's older, but he can still play the game of basketball at a high level. Now, I am worried about Al Horford when it comes to that pick-and-roll game, and you got to pick up Kyrie Irving. He doesn't stand a chance in hell coming off that pick-and-roll against a Kyrie Irving. So I don't know what they're going to do in those situations, but they're going to have to figure something out. But I think the role players from both teams, because you have those, those players who can score at will, Brown and Tatum for the Celtics, Kyrie Irving and Durant for the, for the Nets, the role players are going to have to do their job and knock down shots and play defense and help their team, help those, those stars uh, will a win. Boston beat Brooklyn in three of their four regular season meetings. But I don't know if you can take anything away from that because they didn't have Kyrie. They didn't have KD out there. And the Celtics had Robert Williams. So it was very different when these teams met during the regular season. You mentioned that top-rated defense that Boston has. And I just still don't know, especially without Robert Williams, if it's enough, as great as they have been defensively, particularly in the second half of the season, I don't know if it's enough to contain Kevin Durant. I mean, you can throw the best defense in the game at KD, and that's the greatness of KD. And so I think it all comes down to, are you going to get the monster games from Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving? We know you got a monster game from Kyrie Irving in the play-in. I don't know if you can expect him to be perfect, perfectly, certainly not through an entire series, probably not when he's fasting for Ramadan, uh, but he looked pretty darn perfect so far in this postseason. And, you know, it stands to reason that he's come to play, that Kevin Durant will come to play. I just think in this series, my money's still going to stay on the superstars, but it should be a really interesting series. And we also are going to, by the way, get into at some point in this show whether Boston has any superstars, because I think that's a conversation. And I do think Jason Tatum, if he has a monster game here and a monster series, I mean, it would take the entire series through, then it certainly could change the equation. PJ Carlissimo, he was on Keyshawn, J. Will, and Max, our ESPN NBA analyst. This is what Coach had to say about this next Celtics series. Nobody seems to really know which direction the series is going. And that's why this is such a fun series. I mean, all eyes are on this series because of the names involved in this first round matchup, of course, but also because of the first round matchups. I think that this is going to be the most unpredictable of all of them. Well, I I do believe that the Celtics, they're going to be able to lean on defense. And in saying that, I just think Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving, they're going to have to be excellent uh, because they're lacking defensively what they're lacking defensively. Uh, The Boston Celtics has proven time and time again this season that defense is their staple. They lean lean their hat on that. The Brooklyn Nets have shown us over and over again that they just want to outscore everybody, and defense isn't their thing. And I do remember, I believe the last time these two teams played, and the Brooklyn Nets had to get stops. And guess what? That man we were just talking about, Jason Tatum, bucket after bucket after bucket. I would have loved to have seen Kevin Durant in those situations guard Jason Tatum because you had guys like Seth Curry trying to guard him. He's just shooting over shooting over him. Uh, Bruce Brown, he's just shooting over him. So now, moving forward, I want to see in this series, when it comes to those crucial and clutch moments, is Kevin Durant going to say, you know what, I got Jason Tatum, 
if Ben Simmons is not playing. I got him. Let me have him. Let and me know, get my shot at him. And we know Ben Simmons is not going to be playing in the beginning of this series, even if we do end up seeing him later in this series. And Seth Curry is not going to be fully healthy for this series because it seems like for these playoffs, frankly, Seth Curry might be dealing with some health issues, some soreness. Tim Legler, though, uh, he agrees with you that Jason Tatum is maybe a key component to the Celtics winning this game. He was on Keyshawn, J. Will, and Max. Here was Tim Legler. I do wonder, actually, though, if that assessment, and listen, Legs knows a whole lot more about basketball than me, but I almost wonder if that assessment ends up being correct because it's easy to say it comes down to KD and, and Tatum. Obviously, those are the keys for each team, but... I wonder if the supporting casts are what it's really going to come down to. And it's the supporting cast has been problematic for the Nets and, and the health there and, and the lack of defensive ability on the supporting cast is in the lack of depth on this Brooklyn Nets team. Like if you're going with supporting casts, then it feels like disadvantaged Nets, even though they have the bigger superstars. Yeah. And those guys are going to have to hit open shots. Right. And I don't think you're going to see the Boston Celtics sit there and try to double team Kyrie, a double team Kevin Durant so much like we've seen other teams do because I think they believe so much in their defensive principles. Um, so, But if they do and the Brooklyn Nets have open shots, they're going to have to hit them, a Seth Curry. Um, all these other guys. Yeah, they might dare. Open, they're basically like layups. It's like a layup line when you're shooting open uh-huh. shot, warm-up shots. You got to knock them down. Well, they basically might dare everybody else to to beat them, not named Kevin Durant. Or they just forget about Kevin Durant. Like, all right, he's going to go out there and and score a bunch and be phenomenal, but we'll shut down everybody else. So we'll see which tactic they take. It'll be a really interesting series that tips off on Sunday. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. Insurance for motorcycles, boats, and RVs. Protection for the road and on the water. See how much you can save at 1-800-PROGRESSIVE and at Progressive.com. Coming up, which team is the weakest in the AFC West? We'll discuss. This is ESPN Radio. ESPN Radio. For Wilson and Harry Douglas hanging out with you on ESPN Radio. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. TI has me very distracted here, Harry Douglas. You can tweet to us at AmberW790 at HDouglas83. You can also give us a call. If you fancy, huh? 888-SAY-ESPN-888-729-3776. The AFC West is fancy. That's for darn sure. Uh, they have gotten better this offseason, a division that, of course, already included the Kansas City Chiefs. But the Las Vegas Raiders have improved this offseason. The Los Angeles Chargers have improved dramatically this offseason. And so have the Denver Broncos because they brought over one Russell Wilson. And so that leads to an interesting conversation, Harry, about what the expectations there are for the Broncos. I know when we had on Kimberly A. Martin earlier in the show, you asked her if the Broncos are in danger of possibly missing the playoffs, which is pretty crazy to think when you consider that Russell Wilson was brought in there to make that team so much better. In fact, maybe to win a Super Bowl. But if you look at that division, it all of a sudden seems not so crazy. Yeah, that division is going to be tough. And then I look at the opponents that the Denver Broncos are playing on top of the guys that they have to play in the division, the Kansas City Chiefs, the Chargers, and the, and, and the Raiders twice. They have to play the Colts. They have to play the Cardinals. They have to play the 49ers. They have to play the Rams, the Titans, and the Baltimore Ravens. That's not an easy schedule. On top of fighting, being in a dogfight in your division. Now, I mentioned earlier the reason why I picked the Denver Broncos to be last in that division right now because there are so many unknowns. You have a new coach. Yes, I love their defense, and 
I love uh, adding Randy Gregory to that defense. I think Patrick Sertan is going to step up and be even more of a baller, and he balled out last year in his rookie year. But the offense has to start clicking. It's going to, a lot of new things are going to be learning, right? Nathaniel Hackett, he's a first-year head coach. He's never been in these situations before. Is he going to be able to deliver? Is he going to be able to put guys in the situations to be successful, right? Russell Wilson, just because the arsenal was there doesn't mean it's going to pan out and it's going to work. Now, I think it's going to work, but I have to see it with my eyes first. So when you look at the Los Angeles Chargers, yeah, they didn't make the uh, the playoffs last year, but I love Justin Herbert. I love what they did defensively. They have Keenan Allen. They brought back Mike Williams on the outside, his two weapons that he loves to run the football to. Now, when you look at the Las Vegas Raiders, and I understand that they have a new head coach as well, but they knew their new head coach has been a head coach once before, and I know he has learned from that first time around, not to mention he has been in New England where they have won time and time again. You still had Derek Carr at the helm throwing to a guy named Devontae Adams, uh, also a Darren Waller, and then you have your shifty little shot, slot guys. Real, I love Brian Edwards as well at the wide receiver position. Um, I like what they present defensively, secondary-wise. They got to pick it up. That's, that's been one of their Achilles heels the last few years is their secondary. And they've drafted a lot of guys in their secondary. They just hasn't pa- they haven't panned out up to this point. I love Jonathan Abrams at the safety position. He's a, he's a thumper. He's going to come downhill. He's going to be over-aggressive sometimes, too. So teams may take advantage of that. But uh, the Kansas City Chiefs, you look at Andy Reid, they've been the top dog in that division over the last, what, more than few years. And you just can't count them out. They lost Tyreek Hill. But at the same time, I think that's going to force a guy like a Patrick Mahomes to read coverages more, decipher where the football is going to go, versus just sitting back and playing backyard football, which came back to hunt him versus the Cincinnati Bengals in the AFC Championship game. So sometimes it might be a blessing in disguise because now you can go back to doing regular things. Now, don't get me wrong by any means. It hurts when you lose a Tyreek Hill a guy with elite speed that you can just throw the football to and say, hey, go do what you do. But at the same time, I don't think they're going to be out of things. So when you look at the division in those four teams, the Denver Broncos, I have them last right now until I start seeing them play and see if they can put it together offensively. Yeah, three of the four teams in this division absolutely improved this offseason. Maybe the Chiefs took a step back losing Tyreek. Uh, Valdez Scantling maybe helps that a little bit. But it's a really interesting division. And when you read the Broncos' schedule right there, I mean, you could easily see an eight-win Broncos team. That doesn't seem crazy to me when you consider how tough that schedule is. And yet they had seven wins last season. Like, only getting another win with Russell Wilson at the helm would be a huge disappointment. That Missing the playoffs would be a huge uh, uh, disappointment. Check this out. Th- their wins last year came against the Giants, the Jets, the Commanders. Now, they had two solid wins versus the Cowboys, and I don't even know how solid that is. And the Chargers, I do view the Chargers as being a solid win, but they didn't even make the playoffs last year e- either. But they got better overall as a team. But they had some questionable wins, and they, their wins, uh, besides the two I just named, came against some bad teams as well. And Russell Wilson was not brought in just to win another game or a couple more games. Like, Russell Wilson was brought in to try to compete for a Super Bowl. Uh, but we it remains to be seen whether they will get anywhere near that because it is certainly a, not a foregone conclusion that the Broncos will be even in the playoffs, nevertheless, in a Super Bowl contention. All right, coming up next. We respect it or check it. That's next. This is ESPN Radio with Amber Wilson and Harry Douglas.
ESPN Radio. Amber Wilson and Harry Douglas taking you up until 7 o'clock Eastern here on ESPN Radio. Tweet to us at ESPN Radio, at Amber W790, at HDouglas83. Lots of NBA talk on today's show. It is also Jackie Robinson Day, the 75th anniversary of him breaking the color barrier in Major League Baseball. But right now, it is time, as we do every week on this show, to respect it or check it. Mm. For that... I thought there was, I thought like we were going to get hit with like a little music or something, you know, set the mood a little. There we go. There we go. All right. There's some tunes. That voice is the sultry voice of Eric, our producer. He is going to help us out with this segment. Eric, what's going on? Not much. Uh, enjoying the show so far and, and respected or check it. I'm going to give you a couple statements and uh, sometimes and most of the time, actually, they're a little outlandish, hot takes, if you will. And you have to either respect it or check it. Uh, let's start off with this one. So the Hawks play tonight, as we know, the play-in game. You can listen to here on ESPN Radio. Coverage begins right after us at 7 o'clock here on ESPN Radio. Uh, if the Hawks win tonight, are they the most dangerous lower-seeded team? Actually, let me rephrase that. If the Hawks win tonight, they are the most dangerous lower-seeded team. That's how you do it. Not named Brooklyn. <laughs> uh, let me just give you the other teams. It would be Toronto, Chicago, uh, Utah, Denver, and the winner of the Clippers and Pelicans tonight. So let's, let's start with Harry. If the Hawks win, they're the most dangerous team. That's a lower seed, not named Brooklyn. Wow. Tricky, tricky, tricky. I'm going to say yes and no. Can I give you my yes and no? I'm going to give you my yes because we know what this Hawks team can be. We've seen them last year versus the New York Knicks. Trey Young taking a bow, letting everyone in New York know what's up. The South has something to say. Then we've seen what they did against the number one seed, the seven sixes, Philadelphia and Joel Embiid knocking them off. And then the scare that they gave the defending champions, Milwaukee Bucks and Giannis. When Giannis was out, Chris Middleton came and handled his business, though. They stepped on Trey Young's ankle. I think that altered a lot of things. I still believe today, if he didn't get his ankle stepped on, the Atlanta Hawks were going to move on to the finals versus the Suns. I still believe that today. But the key to that, the key to them being dangerous is John Collins coming back. Now, my note to that, is that the Toronto Raptors have the Hawks number and, ha- and, and has had the Hawks number the entire season. They're long. They're athletic. So half of me says yes in the Atlanta Hawks. The other half of me says the Toronto Raptors because of their length. Now, Harry Douglas and Amber Wilson do not always agree, but oddly we agree and, like, agree on everything with this take because <laughs> – I will say that I will respect this one, that the Hawks are the most dangerous lower seed, but the other team in this conversation to me in terms of the lower seeds is the Toronto Raptors. Now, the only reason I'll say the Hawks is because with the Toronto Raptors, like they're the lowest seed in their matchup with the 76ers, but it's a four versus a five. With the Atlanta Hawks, obviously, we're talking about the disparity with a one seed. So I think that the Hawks, out of the remaining teams in this play-in, these four teams playing tonight, I think the Hawks are the only team that maybe could challenge a one seed. Not that I expect the Hawks. Everyone calm down. I don't actually expect the Hawks to get anything done against my Miami Heat. Everybody relax. Oh, Lord. But if I was objective for two seconds, that would be the team that would maybe concern me most in that regard. I do think that the Hawks, as a low seed, are more dangerous than most teams in their situation. I guess that's the way to say it. Now, Eric, Eric, before we move on, though, I got to say this. If the Hawks win this game tonight, 
I'm going to warn you folks down there in Miami. Don't be trolling Trey Young. If your teams haven't learned their lessons yet, troll Trey Young if you want to. Say Trey is balding so he can ball out on your ass. Play with him if you want to. Play with him if you want to. Eric, you may proceed. <laughs> All right, this next one here. Respect it or check it. Jason Tatum is already a superstar. Amber. I'm going to check this, man. Uh, Jason Tatum, like he's a star. And I realize that this is just uh, splitting hairs at this point. He's a star. He's not a superstar to me yet. I need to see some more from Jason. Jason Tatum is an elite player. I understand he's one of the best players, top five, under 25, yada, yada, blah, blah, blah. I took issue with ESPN putting him as number two on their latest rankings of the top 25 under 25 because my problem with Jason Tatum is he is phenomenal and and don't get me wrong watching him is scary but if you're not a Celtics fan uh but he is he has I do think that Celtics team has underperformed at times he does have the help around him with Jalen Brown and Marcus Smart and Jason Tatum at times I don't know if you can be a superstar when you haven't even gotten past the East I understand he's been to the conference finals a couple times here but he needs to actually win the East to me for him to be elevated I think to that level like if he was to dominate here in the postseason and then win the East and make an appearance in an NBA finals I'm not even going to require him to win a ring if he was the main reason for that from the Celtics then I do think that maybe that catapults him it catapults him into that superstar conversation. He's star. He's like cusping superstar. He's like in that class of like Trey Young. You just mentioned Trey Young. Trey Young to me, not a superstar, but star. Like right there on the cusp of things. Ah, oh, man, I want to put John Moran as a superstar, but I know some people have him on the cusp. Luca maybe on the cusp. Like the, it's not to take anything away from these young guys. I just feel like that there's another step they have to make before I'll put him in a conversation with Kevin Durant. I'm going to go respect it. Amber, you have to respect it with a K at the end, not a T now. Because Jason Tatum to me is one of the most lethal one-on-one players in the NBA today. You look at his numbers from when he first came into the league, averaged just about four, a, a tenth of a tenth, a tenth shot, 14 points his, his rookie year, 15 points his second year, 23, 26, 20, 26.9, almost 27 this year. When they need a bucket, who do they go to? Jason Tatum. The last time I seen these guys play, the Brooklyn Nets and the Boston Celtics, Jason Tatum was the superstar who hit the buckets that the Boston Celtics needed to win that game. I so love if you hit buckets in, in a him. game, then you're a superstar? I mean, come on. Okay, let me ask you a question. So you take Jason Tatum off that team, do they have a chance to win the series? Okay, but what have they actually won with him on that team? Yeah, I understand that. man's been in the league five years. What have they won with him on that team? Jason Tatum's only 24 years old, but he's been in the league for a really long time. Like We we talked about some of these other guys who are like budding, who I put on the cusp. They're younger than Jason Tatum. Yes, they haven't gotten a chance to do it yet. I mean, Ja looks like he's, you know, maybe in a position to already do it. He's a lot younger than Jason Tatum, and he's been in the league What is Joel Embiid? Is he a superstar? Who? Joel Embiid. What I the hell has Joel Embiid won since he came into the league? What has he won since he came into the league? He lost to the Hawks last year. 
See, I mean, listen, that's a, that is a fair criticism of Joel Embiid. Like, there are people out here willing to have that conversation surrounding Joel Embiid. I don't know if I'm one of them. Joel Embiid is in contention for MVP this season. He was, he barely lost MVP last season. The only reason he's not out here winning back-to-back MVPs is because he happens to be playing in the same era as Jokic and Giannis. But if you have a, a part of that conversation, then sure, maybe you're in that superstar discussion, especially if you have it year after year like somebody like Joel Embiid does and that is not the case with Jason Tatum he he was in the MVP talks this year I mean he wasn't though I mean we were discounting the entire first half of the season with Jason Tatum like who had him in the MVP talks who's talks that man is balling he a walking bucket that, that's balling. fine I said he was good when I, I say superstar star. He's I mean you remember star you remember the little game Super Mario Kart? I mean, super like that. You remember the super soaker we used to have as kids when we used to put all the water in? And yeah, just regular soaker squ- doesn't have the same. Uh, I said super, super right, soaker. Right, as I'm saying, it, 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 doesn't, it just doesn't have the same effect as super soaker. But not everybody can be a super soaker. There's regular soakers. Jason out there. Tatum is. Because he out there wetting know, people up on the court. <laughs> wetting them up, Amber. But listen, when I say he's a superstar, I think this year. He has went over that line a tiny bit. He's went over that line just because uh, what he he's done. You got to think about this now. The second half of the season, the Boston Celtics were in contention for the one seed until the tail end of the of, of this year, and a lot of that is because of Jason Tatum and the defense that he actually plays on the best defensive team in the National Basketball Association. Well, for, I mean, the Miami Heat were sitting atop the East basically the entire year, and I'm not even putting anybody on my own Miami Heat in the superstar conversation. It's not just about that's who's why, that's been good this them. regular season. Superstar, to me, is reserved for a very elite few in the NBA. And Jason Tatum so far has not accomplished what's required to be in that conversation, nor has he been, with the rare exception, like a Joel Embiid in the mix for MVP. He's like a, he's like a, a large soaker. Not a super soaker. <laughs> I like that. Coming up next, <laughs> we are going to celebrate Jackie Robinson Day. It has been 75 years today since he broke the color barrier in sports. This is ESPN Radio. ESPN Radio. For Coach K's new dog is officially over. Let me explain. Apparently, there was a void to fill amongst Coach K's retirement. He said that he wants to get another dog quickly. He told the news and observer that back in March, because of the season that they had at Duke, he didn't want to have to try to train a new puppy during that season. But apparently he lost his dog some time ago, a 12-year-old yellow lab named Blue, who died last summer. And he very much misses his dog. And Coach Gay has been very vocal about his affection for his late dog. And so the Duke Blue Devils got wind of this, Harry Douglas, and they gifted Coach K a dog for his retirement. His retirement gift is a Labrador, Labrador uh, retriever, I think like a silver lab or a silver lab puppy. And he was given it at the Duke's annual awards banquet, which happened yesterday. Do you like the idea of a puppy dog as a gift? At first, before I knew that Coach K said that he wanted another dog quickly, I, I did not like this because if Coach K wanted a dog, he probably would have bought one on his own. But the fact that he said he he wanted to get another dog quickly, I actually do like this. I I, th- I think this is a thoughtful gift 
uh, for the people at Duke and, 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 and Coach Shire giving Coach K. Now, I'm telling you beforehand, I did not know Coach K well, said he wanted a dog. Right. My my first reaction was you don't give somebody a dog for retirement gift. Uh, it, it's like, yes. hey, here's some responsibility. <laughs> like, as, as you just got rid of the massive responsibility of your career, mm-hmm. here you go. Raise practically another child, you know, as you're supposed to, like, yes. travel the world and sip Mai Tais on a yacht somewhere. And so I thought that's a terrible retirement gift because it's responsibility that he might not want to sign up for. Uh but I do think when you learn the backstory that he's been out here saying he wants another dog. Now, I am a huge dog person. Shout out to Tuxie Bear Wilson Lindsay, who's in the other room, probably sleeping right now. Uh, and I know what it's like to lose a dog, too. My dogs were my life. But at the same time, I wouldn't want somebody to gift me a dog because it is such a large responsibility. Like, yo, check with me. Like, I miss my dog, Peanut Butter Wilson, but like, yo, check with me first before we add another <laughs> one into this mix, okay? Because dogs are a responsibility. And then also, I don't buy dogs, Harry Douglas. You said until you buy a dog. You don't buy dogs, Harry Douglas. You adopt dogs. Adopt, don't shop. Boom, I like that. But, you know, they say a, a dog is a man's best friend. And not just a man, but people, period. Well, and, and they, they are that. And Akita. And oh, and so Coach K has a new best friend. And him and his wife in the pictures are in tears. And he's kissing the dog. The, the puppy's licking his face. I mean, it does seem oh, like this was a t- very touching gift from Duke to Coach K. Amber Wilson and Harry Douglas here on ESPN Radio, rounding out the 4 o'clock hour. ESPN Radio is presented to you by Progressive Insurance. You can tweet to us at ESPN Radio, at Amber W790, at HDouglas83. You can always join the conversation at 888-SAY-ESPN as well. Every April 15th is Jackie Robinson Day, but today is even more special. It is the 75th anniversary of when he shattered the color barrier and set the stage for a momentous change in society. Robinson was on the front lines of the battle for equality and justice. And when he was in the military, he confronted and challenged racism. Today, an accomplished jazz artist, he shares a unique perspective on that defining episode in Robinson's life. This is part of our series, Black History Always. ESPN Radio. Lieutenant Jackie is the first cut on the CD that Bobby Bradford and friends recorded in honor of Jackie Robinson's 100th birthday three years ago. It's title, Stealing Home. For more firsthand reflections, the complete 12-part series, Jackie to Me, is now available in the ESPN app. So 75 years to the day, Harry Douglas, since Jackie Robinson broke the color barrier in baseball, he not only changed baseball, He changed the world. He changed sports. He changed our world. He changed your world as somebody who yourself spent so many years as a professional athlete. Yeah, when you think about Jackie Robinson, he he gave black kids hope, right, that things can be different and things uh, didn't have to stay the same as they were back then. And even as time passed, you think about certain guys like a Hank Aaron, a Willie Mays, uh, Ernie Banks who played for the Cubs, a Reggie Jackson mixed October, Ricky Henderson, Ozzie Smith, all these guys, uh, Bob Gibson, Ken Griffey, Tony Gwynn. There's no them without a guy named Jackie Robinson. And he wasn't just a baseball player. He was a second lieutenant in the Army. He was a husband. He was a father. He was involved in the civil rights movement. So I'm thankful for a guy like Jackie Robinson. And in the game of baseball, I want the game of baseball to transcend, right? When you look at right now, you have Dave Roberts and Dusty Baker. Those are the only two black managers that you have in baseball. 
But I know, especially when I was growing up, so many kids that looked like me wanted to play baseball. Baseball was my best sport and my favorite sport growing up. And I started baseball at, uh, at four years old. But it just seems like in today's era, that's not the case. And I want that to, to turn. I want that to take a, a turn in the right direction for so many young kids who can take advantage of the game of baseball who look like Jackie Robinson, who looks like me. But I'm thankful for him uh, because all the things that he had to go through back then, and it wasn't an easy road, but it, he was the guy to break the color barrier, to give everyone else hope that looked like us. It was definitely not an easy road uh, for Jackie Robinson. And you mentioned everything that he did there off the field as well for, for society and as a leader. And he accomplished so much. I mean, he passed away when he was only 53 years old. Uh, that's remarkable yep. to think how young he was and how much he accomplished. He was, I think, what, 38 when he became the first black baseball player in the modern major leagues when he joined the Dodgers on that day in 1947. And he had spent his 20s, you know, trying to break into professional baseball, playing in the Negro League. And he was kept out of the sport that he loved for so long before he finally was able to break that color barrier, something that should have come much, much before it came to him. And so he just an incredible, incredible legacy that we honor here 75 years after he broke the color barrier in baseball. This is ESPN Radio.